0: Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, good everything. Everything is good. And that's pretty related to my topic today. In my last episode, I shared why I'm grateful I was a heroin addict. And that might seem like a pretty big statement there. And it is. Don't get me wrong. But that didn't happen overnight, that realization that I'm grateful for some of the most difficult and challenging times in my life. Truly, truly grateful. Today, I wanted to talk about how bad it got. Digging myself into the hole. You know, they say in the program, your bottom is just wherever you choose to stop digging. And, you know, ultimately by continuing to dig the hole, I was mm, led out of it by forces greater than my conscious mind would have allowed at the time. And what I mean is I I wouldn't necessarily say that I I, I chose all of these things, you know, consciously. They kind of happened, and I do believe that I I brought them forth and that these forces in the world and in our lives occur and affect us in ways to help us grow and evolve and explore our life's purpose. But I had a little help getting there. So... I won't tell you the whole shebang of like, you know, my life and my drug history, because I don't think it's really relevant. I do want to say that there is explicit content in this episode. Please, no baby ears here. um, If you're sensitive to hearing about drug using, drug addiction, overdoses, incarceration, this episode is probably not for you. But you can check back again. I have plenty of episodes that are and that will be. But not this one. So just to give you a little background, I graduated from college and I was dating um this guy. Uh I'd been dating him for a couple of years and we got <clears throat> we tried pain pills together. It wasn't my first time, but it it was, I guess, the first time first and most current time. I don't know how to explain that. I had tried them before and I always loved the way they made me feel. It made me feel like everything was sunshine and roses. It eased my emotional pain of being alive. I've always been a really sensitive person. I I pick up on other people's energy. I Um, I think I carried a lot of pain and sadness from my childhood. My parents uh, got divorced when I was five and they fought a lot around me. And so I I hate being around or seeing people fighting. I just always want people to get along. And um, I don't really have a bad upbringing. Uh, I just never learned how to deal with painful emotions. I thought, well, this is painful. Let's just stuff it down. I don't want to deal with that. You know, being in high school is just can be a painful experience. Um, oh, well, I don't know about you, but it was for me. And I didn't have a bad high school experience, but I just, I had a lot of anxiety being around other people, which you would never guess by looking at me, but I did. I just felt different. Anyways, I, we tried, um, we drove and got some, uh, some Roxy's. It was like our first date. We had gone to play tennis together and he was outside on the phone. <clears throat> we had gone to get a beer at a bar downtown and I'm like, why is this guy outside? It's like our first date. He's been asking me to go out with him for so long. And I go out there and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go pick up these pain pills. And I was like, well, I want to come. And the rest, as they say, is history. So that continued for about two years. Um, I, I graduated and I thought I would get a job in international logistics, which is like dry as fuck. I don't know how I thought that that was a fit for me. <laughs> to give you some perspective, I'm now like a creative marketing director. I, that's much more my speed. I, I don't know where this international logistics thing came from, but we had moved down to Atlanta and no longer had our connect to get pain pills. So we drove down to the, like, one of those dangerous neighborhoods in Atlanta, the bluff, uh, met up with Dope Boy, and I, I started shooting heroin for the first time. And things got pretty rough. I couldn't, couldn't get with it at my job. I, I hated it, but I was also dealing with being a, you know, heroin addict. <laughs> um, I would come home and there was a time when, uh, Jay wasn't there. So I call him and <clears throat> he's giving me some story about, he's at the deli eating a deli sandwich. And then when he gets home, he continues to like fall out, starts turning blue. We were watching like real housewives or some trash TV together. And I look over cause something funny had happened and he wasn't responding. So I like I'm going over there and I'm like slapping the shit out of him. I had this cup of Wendy's lemonade with ice in it from what I'd picked up on the way home, and I like dumped that on his face, and trying to like drag him to the shower to turn the cold water on him, and <clears throat> ultimately I ended up calling nine one one. And by the time the medics got there, he had kind of like come to, and he's like telling them, "Oh, you know, she's just kind of you know sensitive. I I have a pain pill prescription you know, for my back, and I just took too much." And everyone's like, "Okay." So they leave and I know that he has dope at this point. I'd been like sick all day. So I'm like, well, are you happy with yourself? Let's go shoot some dope. So my mom comes down to visit me just to, you know, see how I'm doing. Her daughter's in her first job after college. And I forget to pick her up at the airport. She gets to our house and we're still just like laying in bed. Um, and she's just like, what's going on here? And she knew like. I was struggling at work and couldn't really figure out why. And we ended up going for a walk while she was down there. And I said, hey, mom, you know, I'm, I'm doing heroin, shooting heroin. And things are not good. I think Jay almost died the other day. I'm not, I, I'm like really fucking freaking out. I don't know what to do. And she said, well, I know what to do. You, you're going to move home, go to treatment. And that sounded like the best option at the time. So I, Jay and I broke up, uh, but we remained very close. We were like best friends. And shortly after that, I, um, I was now living with my mom. Um, I had my first stint in rehab, which I didn't last very long. I was like, you know, this place isn't for me. I'm not an addict. These people, they have problems. I don't have a problem. (laughs) I'm just shooting here. I don't have a problem. Um, I ended up finding a graduate program that it was a positive coaching psychology program. And I wasn't really doing much with myself after, after college. And, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew that that was it. That was, that was me. That was in alignment with who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And I, I loved that program. And, you know, during this time, it's like, I felt like there was the Amanda that was like at school, um, around like her professors or, or presented at work. And then there was this other Amanda that was like in so much pain. I was so ashamed of, of my pain. I had this whole other life of, of people and friends and, you know, other people who did drugs. And, and then I had this separate life like at school and I wasn't really sure which one was me, but I knew that I needed the drugs in order to survive because the pain of, The pain inside me was just, um, I thought it was so great that if I let it, just let it flow and and felt it, that that it would swallow me alive. And I didn't really have any other answers or or ways to, to cope. (laughs) It, It had become my sole coping mechanism. And it's, it's interesting that, you know, through all of this. I felt so lost. I knew that I had a purpose, but I didn't know what it was. Um, I knew this, you know, coaching program was closer to that because I I wanted to help people, but I wasn't able to help myself. And because of that, like disconnect and me continuing to choose drugs and, and using, um, in order to fuel my other, you know, professional Amanda, I I, I continued to sink deeper and deeper <clears throat> into that, as will happen when you start <clears throat> doing drugs the way I was. So I um <clears throat> I I didn't want to be doing shooting heroin anymore, <clears throat> but whenever I stopped, I was getting sick. Um I don't know if you know anything about being dope sick. It sucks. You can't do anything. So essentially you have this, you know, crippling heroin addiction or whatever kind of opiate you're on and you're really not even getting high anymore. You're just like living. You're, you're, you're do doing drugs in order to just be, um, because eventually what happens is you keep pushing those feelings down long enough. Then whenever the drugs start wearing off, it starts getting, shit starts getting really real. And it's like really uncomfortable because you've been so numb to it for so long. So I had gone to, um, I got a, the scholarship or, you know, funding to go do a talk up in Montreal at the international positive psychology conference. And it was amazing. I had a partner, this girl that I was going to present with. We were so excited, um, we get up to Montreal and the girl tells me she doesn't want to do it anymore. It's just going to be me, but she'll film it. So it's cool. She'll just, you know, she'll film me talking and then I could have that video, you know, which I think I do have that video somewhere. Well, I'm like freaking out. I'm like, this is like one of the biggest things I've ever done. I mean, we've been preparing for months, weeks. I mean, what, what are you talking about? So I call my, you know, best friend Jay and I'm like, Hey honey, I I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm I'm kind of freaking out. Like this girl, she just backed out at the last minute. And he said, listen, you're a rock star and you're going to fucking kill it. And in that moment, I knew it was true because he believed it. I felt like he saw something in me that I wasn't able to see in myself. Despite our relationship of, doing and using drugs together. Like we had a very special bond. Um, okay. So I do the talk. It went splendidly. It was great. And I'm on my way back home. I'm flying through Toronto. There's a huge snowstorm. My flight gets grounded. I'm in this long ass customer service line, trying to get a voucher, uh, for a hotel or something. And Jay calls me. He's like, Hey, I just got out of treatment. He was in a treatment center in Irvine, California. Um, you know, asking me how my talk went. And I was like, Oh, I, it was great. I definitely want to talk to you. Can I call you back in the morning? I'm just like, there's just too much going on right now. He says, yeah, sure. No problem. So I end up getting back to Marietta and I'm checking my email and there's an email there from Jay's dad. I'm like, well, that's weird. Um, and he tells me, "Hey, I, I wanted to let you know. Jay was found outside of a ditch last night in Irvine, California." And I, I, I basically fell apart. I went to his funeral. I was, I was beside myself. Um, I didn't really feel like anyone else understood me the way he did, and I didn't really know how to navigate life. Without him, I would go to call him and remember he wasn't, I couldn't talk to him. Um, and I, I just kind of continued on my course at that time. I, I did finish my program. I was still going to the methadone clinic. Uh, during this time, I thought it would be a great idea to start, uh, smoking meth as well. Cause I, I had run out of my Adderall prescription and this guy at the methadone clinic said, Oh, here, have some meth. You want to see, like, some really fucked up stuff, like, you just. It's a totally different world, meth users. Um, I started. So I ended up starting to date this other guy who was a. sold drugs. Uh, we'll call him P. And. I graduated from school, but I didn't really have anything else lined up. And I'm, I'm basically, like, living with this guy. And. I I was on probation at the time because I had gotten this, this DUI a couple of years before and I'd completed everything I needed to do for that. But, um, I had still had to turn myself into county jail for 24 hours. That was like the last thing I needed to do, but I had no concept of time, like none. I'm supposed to turn myself in at 9am and I've been like up all night doing drugs, literally like doing nothing. And I, I missed the time I was supposed to turn myself in. Um, and my mom was just like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? You knew you had to be there. And so that happened another once or twice. And I'm like, it's like delusional in my mind. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm like a, a white girl who has like this master's degree. And, you know, they're not going to put me in jail. How insane does that sound? <laughs> I mean, I it's embarrassing to even say that that's how far the, you know, this delusional state with me went at the time. I I really thought that, or maybe I just hoped that, I don't know. Turns out they will put you in jail. So I ended up having to be in county for two weeks because I had a chance to turn myself in for 24 hours. And the judge was like, okay, you're playing with me. Yeah. You're going to go for two weeks. So I did that. And I met some people in there. It is kind of like the movie blow. Um, but I I was like pretty, I guess I'd pretty naive at the time. I, 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 I just trust people. I take them for their word. And, um, I met a couple girls in there, one of which, um, had some, you know, connections in Mexico and started doing some things with that when I came back. And then the other one was a, this, like, probably, like, lifelong meth user. Her teeth were, like, all fucked up, but yet here I am in jail thinking she's, like, hilarious, and she really cares about me. We're, like, friends, and the guy I was kind of seeing dating at the time, P, was, like, he was no stranger to, like, you know, the criminal justice system in this country. He'd been in and out of Jail and prison multiple times. He's like, these people are not your friends. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, they really are. These are my friends. So I lend one of my friends, the, the girl from West Virginia, my car, and she crashes it into a telephone pole. So now I don't have a car. <clears throat> I ended up getting the car fixed. So that, it, it, it worked out, but it, it was like ridiculous. And I, I kept continuing to make these decisions that just like made everything worse and i couldn't figure out how that was happening i'm th- i'm thinking like okay i must have just done this wrong like you know it this it's this other girl's fault cuz i lent her the car and she's you know just like kind of blaming everyone else still trying to control my outer experience uh in order to feel better i wasn't getting the relationship there between like my actions and the consequences <clears throat> I just wasn't getting it. So now it's May of 2018 and, um, I had gone over to this like sketchy ass trailer park to go get some drugs from this guy. His name was like G or something. I don't know. Um, that's not his real name. But you get the gist. I'm over there and his baby mama comes over with the baby and she sees us standing like outside together. Like we're just like on the front porch, like right off the stairs. And I was about to, you know, go to my car and head out because I had what I came for. And she like freaks out and run, tries to run us both over. He like tries to push me out of the way and she, you know, steers the car towards me then and... Um, cause she can't get us both anymore. And she drives her car into a fence and runs me over and I was pinned underneath her car. Okay. I, I remember waking up and trying to get, mo- get out, but my arm wouldn't move. It, it wasn't working. And, um, the next thing I know, I, I was in the hospital for, for a week. I had a, my a broken, fractured humerus, pelvis, sacrum, and my clavicle was dislocated and mind you, I've been, uh, doing, you know, meth and, and now I was back on heroin because I'd stopped going to the methadone clinic. Um, and so I've been picking at my face and I have a picture of me at this time and this is, oh my God, it's like so embarrassing. So people come into the hospital room. I remember this lady was like a volunteer there and she had, she'd bring her dog around. He was like a service dog or whatever. And she's like, Oh my God, what happened to you? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I was in a car accident. Like I, this girl ran me over and people were like, Oh my God. And what happened to your face? Cause I'd been picking at my face and it was just covered in scratches and like scars and marks. I mean, it was so bad. And I'm like, no, that's from the accident. That's what. That's why my face is like this. I mean, oh my god. So I get out of the hospital, and um, I couldn't just sit still at home. I had a life to get back to. And so I end up having P come to pick me up, and trying to like walk around, like trying to like use a a walker, but I can't because it's like my right arm that's broken and my left pelvis. And I ended up just doing enough dope to not feel the pain. And I was over at this friend of mine's house, not the same guy, different guy driving home. It was right after my birthday and it's probably like six, 7 a.m. The sun was just coming up and I had all my like drugs in this like methadone lockbox, but the lockbox was open and it was in my back seat. Don't ask me why I did that. Um, and my arm's broken, mind you, it's in a cast. And I see a cop behind me, blue lighting me. I'm like, oh shit, this isn't good. So I'm trying to like, wait to pull over before I can, so I can reach back and get the box and close it, you know, so he doesn't just see all of my drugs out there and my fucking rigs and everything. I mean, oh my God, There's like a whole little drug addict, druggy kit there. Uh, but my arm doesn't work because it's fucking broken and the cast, I can't bend my arm that way to reach behind me. And so ultimately I just have to end up pulling over and I'm trying to like, get it out of the back seat and close it before he can get up to my car and he comes up to my window and I have all the drugs open in my lap in front of me with this like broken arm I'm talking about no no no, like I'm on probation you you like please like let me go so they didn't let me go I got put back in jail this time for five weeks um I because I was supposed to be in a wheelchair and they, they didn't have any like handicap accessible cells except for in the infirmary. So this time I was in the infirmary and in a cell by myself with like nothing, nothing to do, no one to talk to, just nothing. I had a phone in there. Um, like the pay phone thing, not like an actual phone. Um, and so I ended up just, I'd be like calling my mom all the time just to even find out what time it was and like, Oh, that was like so painful because there's just nothing. And then all they're giving me for the pain is like maybe a Tylenol in the morning. And I had to like beg for that. And then shower in there, you have to like keep, first of all, you have to stand up to be in the shower and you're, you have to keep pressing this button every like seven seconds to keep the water going. And people are like walking by outside, like men and women, guards, you know, Uh, just all sorts of people, all the other people coming into the infirmary. All I had in there, I had this Twilight book. I think someone gave me like maybe halfway through, and I just, I read that a lot. And I had this, um, one of the guards there knew me from the last time, and he gave me this like Marietta Daily Journal or something from like a few months ago. (laughs) Uh, and I had that maybe like my last week in there. Um, so finally my lawyer, gets me out and I'm mandated to a 30 day treatment program in Pensacola, Florida, which was like, you know, day camp for adults. It's on the sound. There's like kayaks. It's like so cool. Um, and I still thought that I just hadn't quite figured out how to like do drugs or, um, sell drugs. And like, I didn't really have a problem. I was just going to like continue to maintain and like do what I was doing. And, um, and, and it would be fine next time. That's what I So I like make some friends in treatment. I was going to leave with this girl who she had multiple personalities and I had made plans to, to go get a place with her to live after we got out. Um, but then the personality that ends up leaving was the one, this like 14 year old chick that's like in love with this like guy back in Texas. And I don't know if that was the real her. I, I don't know. That didn't work out. So I'm like staying, I ended up staying with another friend down there. And I had to go get my arm, I had to get it rebroken and I get a plate and screws put in there because when I got arrested in May, the officer goes to put my arm behind my back and he rebroke the arm. I heard it like crack. Um, so I, I'm just getting out of treatment for, you know, heroin for opiate addiction, a little bit of meth. And then I, I get back on pain pills Because I had just had 40 staples in my arm. So I just continued being up to no good in Pensacola. There was no reason for me to be there. I ended up moving back home. And I just kind of continued what I was doing. Uh, After a couple months, I ended up getting this settlement from that girl uh, running me over. And I went and I bought a new car with it in cash. I mean, it wasn't new, it was new to me. It was a new Lexus. And I just bought a bunch of drugs. And I thought, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Because now I can support my habits. It's really fucking expensive. Okay? Not cheap. Unless you're buying in bulk. <laughs> I'm going to be like Costco. I'm going to resell my stuff so I can support my drug habit. And that's what I tried to do. I tried to do that. Until now it's December in 2018. And I was just leaving this, like, drug house. I'd been up all night selling drugs, doing drugs. And I was going to make another deal and what do you know? I get pulled over again. I think I was like a magnet for all of this trouble because it was ultimately leading me to where I am now. I had to like make these situations in my life happen. And like, I guess consciously making them worse so I could like unconsciously dig myself out of them. Um, but I wouldn't say it was like a choice that I was like, Oh yeah, I think I should get arrested with a bunch of drugs again. Um, so this time I was in jail for six months. Yeah. And I got mandated to a 12 month residential treatment program for IV drug using women who were homeless and some of them were pregnant. I wasn't, but some of them were, uh, and it was during my time in jail that last time that I started to think about my life in a serious way. Cause I, I actually finally had some time clean. It's probably the longest time I'd had without drugs or anything in my system, uh, for, for that long in like, since like I was 13, I don't think I'd ever gone that long. And so I was starting kind of, you know, just like beginning to get a glimpse of who Amanda was on the inside and, and what I had left when everything else was taken away. And I realized like, okay, Amanda, you say you want to help people, but you haven't been able to help yourself. Like maybe this is going to be a way that you could help other people. You know, you're clearly not the only one. You're not the only drug addict in the world. And you know, you You really did it this time. You really have some insight into this life. So maybe if you could get through, you know, this on the other side, there might be a reason, you know, for all of this having happened and it might actually serve you and serve others. So that's why I say I'm grateful I was a heroin addict because it gave me my purpose. gave me the insight, the opportunity to look more deeply into myself. And transform my own life and realize everything I did have to be grateful for and then in turn I could now be able to help other people going through the same or similar circumstances because you know there's a lot of a lot of problems in this country with our drug system and our criminal justice system and the way we treat drug addiction we treat it like it's some you just take the drugs away and send someone to this 30 day treatment program and have them go to talk to somebody, you know, while they're there. And and then it's okay. But when you take the drugs away, the problems are still there. That pain is still there. And as long as you're unable to or unwilling, we are all able to look inside yourself and feel that pain that sadness that anger that grief that loss until you're able to do that it's going to keep presenting itself in ways in things like drug addiction it's just something we do because we don't know how to deal with these quote unquote negative emotions but the the biggest like twist here is that those emotions energy in motion They just want to be felt and then they will pass through and move on. So by me pushing them away and pushing them down and running away from them for so long, I'm just making the whole thing worse. They could have been done and gone already. That's what they're there for. They just want to be acknowledged. Because they're there, they're telling us something. They're giving us information. When we're angry, it means some kind of boundary has been crossed. When we're sad, it's this reckoning with loss that we we think somehow takes away from who we really are. But really, nothing can ever happen or occur in your life that would make you any less whole and beautiful and perfect than you already are. And so all of these experiences, all of these challenges, all of this unconscious creation I was doing, all led me to a point where I am now, or it led me to a point to get to where I am now. It had to get worse before it got better. I was never really lost. I had never really lost the path. I was always on it. But I was in so much pain because I was unwilling to look and accept what was inside. I thought that the shame and guilt I felt was a reflection on me, that there was something wrong with me. And if anybody else saw me the way I saw myself, like, oh my God, they, nobody, ever nobody, everybody would hate me. I really thought that. So. Essentially. I continued holding myself back and creating situations that would be extremely difficult for myself kept doing this. Uh, maybe my higher self kept presenting these things, these opportunities so that I could get to the point of, well, I don't know what, maybe like no return where I I had all my, you know, freedoms essentially taken away from me. Um, and I, I didn't have really much control over my external circumstances. And I started to realize the only thing I could control was inside. Aha. <laughs> What a revelation. And so I just want you to know that no matter what is going on in your life or what has happened to you, you are never lost and you are never alone. You are on the path, even when it feels like you're not. So maybe you can ask yourself, what what is life asking of me now? What is this here to teach me? how is this situation for my highest good? Just flip the script, you know, we have all this programming and conditioning that tells us that, or that we think is telling us that we're not good enough. And we're not like, we're, we're not whole. There's something wrong. And, and, and none of that is true. Okay. And I really do want to share with you how I started digging myself out of the hole and how I got from there to here. But I think that would be a kind of empty conversation if you didn't have the context of of what came before and what led up to it, because I, I had to go down in order to come up. And I want you to know that that doesn't have to be the way you, you don't have to learn from pain. You can learn from love instead. You don't have to let things happen outside of you in order for you to grow. That's what I had to do because I wasn't willing to go within and and change my inner world. So I I had to go through those things, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so that's what I'm really here to to kind of share with you that that that's what it took for me to get to here. And so I wouldn't change it for anything. I, I, now when things happen to me, it's almost like, I mean, man, nothing can shake me. Like I, I already got through this and I don't know, like maybe this sounds really bad to you guys or sound, doesn't sound that bad, but you know, I'm like, if I could get through that, like I'm good. And I think some people just haven't really gone through these, you know, life changing circumstances or moments. So they feel so you know, swayed by the events and and everything else going on around them. But when you come from a strong foundation grounded in your own power and, and love and inspiration, you know that none of that has to have anything to do with what goes on inside. Nothing outside of you can ever make you less than the amazing being you already are. But if things are happening outside of you that are making you feel that way, maybe that's going happening for a reason. And maybe you can ask yourself, why, what is this here to teach me? So I love you so much. Thank you for choosing to spend this time with me here today. I hope this episode wasn't too much of a a bummer, a downer. Um, but you know, that's how life works sometimes. It's, um, it's that duality. It's the opposites. And you know, that, that is, it's just, it's my story. And next time we're going to be back here and we'll kind of talk about how this like transformation started to really take root and flourish, which I'm really, really looking forward to. I wish you the most wonderfulest of days. I love you so much. Thank you so much for listening.